Three, two, and one. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the Faithful and for the Faithful Staples of Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. The Oilers are not. That was uh, uh, what that was the, one of the worst losses of the last two years. I'm gonna say it was. Um, there wasn't a lot, lot, not a lot of positive in that game. Seven two loss to the Carolina Hurricanes, Bruce, and the Oilers just did not have it in the slightest. What's your take on it? Uh, my take was that game sucked, and that the Oilers mostly sucked. Is my take. I do like this new look of yours, though. Your head on Connor McDavid's shoulders. That's, Is that what uh, I have there? Yeah, that's how it looks at the moment. <laughs> there he is. There he there. is. Yeah. There. Okay. That actually does look better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. So I I will agree with that, Bruce. I definitely agree with that. He's got that. Um, Connor McDavid has that intensity. Uh, my wife was t- saying today, you know that show Andor. Uh, you you don't probably get Disney Plus. I don't get Disney Plus. But um, there's a show Andor. It's based on Rogue One, and the uh, the lead in Rogue One was this. I don't know the actor's name, but his 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 name in the movie in the movie was Cassian. Anyway, my wife was like raving about this guy how sexy he is because he's got this quiet, serious intensity. And I said like Connor. Mc- I said like <laughs> Connor McDavid. I think that's what McDavid's got going for him. You know, he's not like. Uh, Brad Pitt or anything, but man, he's got that that serious, quiet intensity. Maybe not tonight so much, though. He was one of the culprits we're going to be talking about tonight, Bruce. We don't often have him on our crap list, but he's definitely on mine tonight. We're starting with uh, this is our two bad things, two excuse me, two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. And because it was such a crappy game, we're going to start with the bad things first because it doesn't make sense otherwise. You go ahead, or should I go ahead? You, you go first, and I'll clean up the rebounds the way Carolina was. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, poor old uh, Jack Campbell's known to make a few rebounds. Okay, um, Bruce, there was many things that went wrong in this game. But the two most glaring things by far, the thing that really, you know, made sure they're not winning this game, well, there's probably... You can't let in goals in the last seconds of a period. You get through the first period. You come out, you have not a bad start. You get some great A shots. Um, you're doing okay. And then Carolina comes on in the second half of the first period. They're getting great A shot after great A shot. But you, you're, they're not going in. And if you can just maybe get through that first period, maybe you can get to the second and get the eke out a goal. In fact, with 40 seconds left, McDavid puts one off the post. You know, kind of comes out of nowhere. Carolina's been putting all the pressure on. And McDavid gets one off the post. They come down to the other end of the ice. The puck goes in the corner. And Connor McDavid is beat for the puck. And he's bowled right off the puck by none other than 6'10", 300-pound Tarot. Terovinen. Toivu Terovinen. I've got my Don Cherry Poppy on today, so I'm butchering all the European names, Bruce. It's how it's going to go. Toivu Terovinen? Toivo. 
uh, I think. Toy I don't know. My Finnish is poor. I'm way better at Swedish than Finnish. <clears throat> Toivo Teravainen, 6'10", 300 pounds of muscle. And he knocks McDavid off the puck. It, it, it was as bad as Connor McDavid has looked in a puck awful. battle since he entered the NHL. He he didn't... Uh, he never touched the puck, David. It was did. his puck. He had a 70-30 puck there. And he didn't attack the puck, and then he tried to, I guess, stand up and sort of reverse check Tara Vinan, and that was a total fail. And and Carolina, uh, I mean, Aho that chipped the puck into the corner where McDavid should have got it. He correctly got an assist on the play because McDavid never touched the puck. It was it was weak. <sighs> it really was weak, and. Um... You know, then Tyson Berry deflects it in his own net after that too, which wasn't great either. But really, the the play is it's just he's just there's 21 seconds left, 25 seconds left when that happens. He's just got to you know kill the play, make sure you kill the play. I remember like the, in Ken Dryden's uh, great hockey book, The Game. I think he talked about how Scotty Bowman would always at the in the last minute of every period would have Bob Gainey and Doug Jarvis out there on the ice um, to kill off that that key moment that key uh, momentum changing moment in a, in a in a hockey game and um just how crucial it is in that in that moment to, to be on your game to be aware to be conscientious to be on your toes mcdavid usually is he's been playing fairly strong defensive hockey um the last couple of years mm-hmm. not on that play then in the last second of the second period with the, the i think the orders are all honestly were already out of the game by then um, because of Jack Campbell's gaffe. But I think um, to make it three to one, but theoretically you can still come back. But Dylan Holloway turns over the puck at the offensive blue line, you know, which is with with um, 10 seconds left to go, five seconds left to go. It's just like a fundamental mistake. Um, one of those things that that is harped on constantly, get the puck in deep, uh, kill off the game, don't don't get scored on in that last minute of play, and he and he makes that mistake, and the other they come down the other way, and and both defensemen I thought <clears throat> were also kind of backing in, and everyone was kind of backing in, Kulak and and Murray were backing in, and finally the puck's right in the in the slot area, the uh, you know home plate area, and there's a what I thought it was actually a fairly difficult shot, a backhand shot from that area. Great um, shot. It was right a great shot. Post. Right off the post. A hard shot. And it might have been nice for Campbell to make a save as Louis DeBrusque says he should have. I would have been happier on the third goal. <clears throat> but um, anyway, um, it's in the net and the game's, you know, if the, if the game wasn't over then uh, or before then, it was over then for sure. Even though Jack Michaels kept reminding us that the owners may or maybe are going to come back. I wasn't buying it tonight, Jack. He doesn't want people switching channels. I think they're instructed to say that, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Build up the drama, whatever whatever drama you can find. Try to make it interesting and exciting, and as, as if there's a hope. Oh, there didn't ever perceive much of a big. hope. Yeah, it is. It is what it is. I don't blame any announcer for doing that. They're trying to create excitement in the product, but I wasn't <laughs> sure wasn't buying it tonight. Bruce, what's your bad thing? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I got a long, long list, David, but I think I am going to go with that three to one goal uh, after the Oilers finally did bang one in to make a 2-1 and get back in the game and it was about what, three minutes later 
Uh, yeah, two minutes and 59 seconds later. And I'm not sure if it was Carolina's next shot, but it was certainly their next time uh, uh, that we entered, had made an entry on our sheet, not because it was a grade A shot, but because it was a goal from outside, where Andrei Svechnikov, who is uh, apparently uh, kryptonite for Jack Campbell, came and did the exact same thing he did in Edmonton a few weeks ago when he came down the ice and just fired a outside shot. Like the defense was no help. They both backed in CC and uh, and Kulak on that play. Somebody could have stood up to, especially knowing who it was, Svechnikov, and forced him to shoot from a little further out. But the fact yeah. is he fired the puck from above the circles. Uh, Cowell could see it all the way. It hit him in the glove and off the glove and right on into the net. And I think that really took the life out of the orders. Like if they had any chance of a comeback when they made it 2-1 and was gone three minutes later. And frankly, I never really thought they had much chance of winning this game. They just did not play well throughout. Yeah. But that one specific play was a killer. And along with the two very late, late uh, period goals, like you say, you know, there's just... As uh, Jay Woodcroft said in his post-game, self-inflicted wounds, and he talked, he used that term two or three different times, and it was hard to disagree with his assessment. And maybe one inflicted by the refs. I don't know about that penalty on Ryan. Oh. Like technically, he shoots yeah. it over. Like, but it's just almost like a deflection I over the boards. That. I guess. Shooting I mean, I think over the glass guy, is one thing. The puck's in the air, and you're battling for the puck, and it happens. You just to try to knock down the, the puck. Yeah, and and so that was essentially a three-on-five goal because it comes right at the end of the three-on-five when Ryan's not in the play yet. So if they don't have that three-on-five, maybe there's no goal there. And um, again, that's a that's a difference. But I'm with you, Bruce. I didn't really see the Oilers having much. You know, interesting though, Bruce. The the grade A shots were 18 to 14 in this game for Carolina. So th- with the Oilers with nine five alarm shots and Carolina with eight. A lot of the Oilers' damage was done on the power play, of course, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which was pretty sharp. <clears throat> but um, and there are two whole chances. Yeah, and there are two whole chances. Well, they should be grateful for that, shouldn't they? That's a lot for the. That's a lot for the Oilers in a game. All right, <clears throat> you're a good thing, Bruce. Well, I'm going to go with uh, with the second Oilers goal by McDavid. Uh, which in theory brought them a little bit back into the game at 4-2 down in the third, but I'm I'm merely going to single it out because it was one of those McDavid moments and yeah. a beautiful goal that uh, uh, off of a, uh, a decent play, kind of kind of similar in in some ways uh, to the game uh, last uh, last game where uh, Tyson Berry. Uh, was involved in getting McDavid the puck with some open space in it. And it was actually a goal where we credited all five guys on the ice for having something to do with it. Drysaddle won the face-off. Uh, Kulak slipped it over to Barry, and Barry held it, and then timed his pass to uh, uh, to uh, McDavid in the corner. And McDavid was kind of isolated against poor Calvin DeHaan <clears throat> one-on-one. And that's the same thing that happened the last game. Remember in the four-on-four four when they had, when well, it was a game before that, they had the four-on-four, four and it was a game in Washington. They had the four-on-four, four and, and Barry and Drysaddle set up McDavid, just isolated him against one guy, and McDavid just beat the guy like a drum. 
then beat the goalie like a second drum. Uh, and this sort of same thing happened here. But one of the reasons he had space in this five on five was Brett Kula coming in off the point and making a hard charge to the net front. And also, yes, Pugliari making a fantastic uh, pick play, I will call it. Although we don't actually have a code, positive code for pick play. I think we called it a hard charge. But really what, what yes, it did was a total eclipse of the sun on number five, uh, Jalen Chatfield of um, Carolina just pushed him right out of the way and gave McDavid some space to go to the backhand side where he did and promptly roofed a backhand from about 15 feet out. And that uh, was just a, it was a brilliant individual play by McDavid and yet an individual play where all of his teammates had uh, had an influence on it. So kind yeah. of an individual goal and a team goal all at once. So that was my five seconds of happiness in this game. Little lone dopamine hit of the game. Uh, 15 goals in 15 games, right? So that's pretty yep. hard. 15, 15. <clears throat> He's had I one and that. one in all three games on the road trip so far. I liked uh, the play I like from Kulak actually was him going through the slot, taking his yep. mat. Because usually defensemen don't make that hard charge. And he took a player out of the play as well by doing that. And then pull you over your right. He really did block him. It's a nice blocking play there. He was doing his best Art Shell impersonate, impersonation, 19, mandatory 1970s sports reference, my second of the podcast, mm-hmm. maybe my third. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a really fine goal. And uh, did I have a bit of hope for a second? Of course I did. I'm an Oilers fan. I'm thinking anything's possible. You put Connor and Leon together, they could put in a few more goals. You just never know. But um the next goal of, of after that, the orders didn't get another grade A shot in the entire game, Bruce. Not one after that. Carolina had all of them, and um, three more goals. Three more goals, including like it, it, so many weird goals. Just so many weird goals. You know that the, the next goal, which came seven minutes later, was kind of a weird, def, you know, deflected shot. Rebound comes out, and then it get, gets hacked once and then twice battered out of the air by the Carolina attacker into the net. It was like, what is going on? It was uh, by the silken hands of uh, Jordan Martinuk. There you go. It was one of those kind of games, David. Yeah. (laughs) My good thing, other than the game being over, uh, is that the Flames lost, Bruce. Okay, there you go. There's my good thing. I think it's seven in a row for the Flames. Ooh. You know, everyone was saying going into the season, the Flames are a good team. I wasn't sure. I don't know what I said, but I wasn't buying that either. Like, they had a lot of turnover on that team. And um, Matt Kachuk, I think, has been the straw that stirs the drink in Calgary. And um, he's, I, I, you know, he's quite a hockey player, I think. He's like, good. I think Matt Kachuk is a really good hockey player. Like, you'd want him on your team for sure. And I know Kadri is also a good hockey player and Huberdeau is a good player. But I was a little, I was, you know, curious about Huberdeau. How's he going to do? Um, you know, he's a bit of a finesse player he, who's been on some good lines and had kind of a career scoring year, if I'm not mistaken, last year. So I was wondering how that's going to work yes. out. I thought the Uyghur trade was really good for them to pick up Mackenzie Uyghur. You know, some I heard someone say like they've got the best defense in the NHL heading, and I just thought, well, what? I mean, against the Oilers, just crushed them. They sieved them. Great now, Rasmus Tanev was hurt. Anderson, David. 
<clears throat> Tanif was hurt, but um, mm. the best, I just thought, what? Mm. Where, where does that come from? Um, well, their defensive record was good. I'm not sure it was because their defense was that great. And, yeah, anyway. maybe Markstrom, I don't know. Maybe just a, like a team where everyone knows its roles, that whole thing, everyone plays strong defensive hockey. That can be the case. I mean, um, you can, teams can crank it up and play long, long. They can play a full season of strong defensive hockey if, if that's their game, right? And they all know it. But anyway, they've lost seven in a row. Bruce. That is my good thing. And it's a very good thing. What's your number? Yeah, uh, my number is nine out of 15. That's how many games the Oilers have allowed at least four goals so far this season. And that is a losing proposition. Nine nine games of four goals against. Uh, they managed to win, you know, two or three of them. Six, five, six, four, seven, four. But more often they're on the losing end, you know. 7-2 tonight, 6-2, You know, they're just not good enough to keep the puck out of the net. And, you know, at, when they scored at the end of the first period, I was so frustrated. And I, I sort of thought, why are you so mad about that? And I'm thinking, it's so rare that the Oilers ever even make it through an entire period without giving in a goal. Yeah. Here they've almost played a 0-0 first period. It wasn't perfect. In fact, the second half of it was pretty bad. But I thought, well, they're going to get out of this 0-0. Zero, zero. And then they nearly scored. And then they gave up that really soft one with 20 seconds to go in the period. And they're down one nothing, And that's just the beginning of it because they've given three in the second and three more in the third. And their, their, their defensive play, and I won't just single out the defensemen, but the forwards and the goaltenders all play their part in this. Their defensive play has just been pretty much woeful. They've given up at least two goals in every game but one. So, you know, it's it's uh, they're they're just not really a threat to win the the tight games. And I mean, sure, McDavid and Dreisaitl score most games. Well, that's two. Now you need two more just to tie the four that you're giving up. And and it's up and down the lineup with the defensive mistakes, Bruce. Like mm -hmm. it's all yeah. the players from McDavid and Dreisaitl on down. And they're the leaders of this team, right? Like they <clears throat> so they're part of it. Like this is this is a, a total team uh, collapse. Maybe that's too strong a word, but it's 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 getting to be collapse ish proportions on defense this early in the year. They just got they've got to get it together. I mean, McDavid said it after the last win. You know, finally we played we show we can play some defense. Yeah, it was great to see and more of it, please, because we can't have these you know these kind of glaring mistakes that are made. You know, people will blame this game on Campbell. Fair enough. But it's not just Campbell. Oh no! There was just endless mistakes by all the players, and um, you can't have it. This team isn't good enough to have that. You know, this team has the talent level, I think, of of a really good team that can win the Stanley Cup. But all those teams would have something in common. They would all play like defense, like they, there's no tomorrow. They would all just just buckle down and play defense. It's This isn't a team that's going to win the Stanley Cup on pure offense. It's not that good. It doesn't have the depth scoring of, of that kind of team. They've got to play strong defense. You know, Bruce, we, we realized, you know, if it didn't, if we didn't see this before, I mean, last year in the playoffs, they almost lost the Los Angeles Kings, a not great team, a, just an okay to good NHL team. And they almost lost because of their weak defensive play 
They finally cranked it up in game six. They got it together. They played strong defensive hockey. They, they continued that against the Calgary Flames, and they thumped the Flames. They tried to do it against the Avs, but they were the orders were all banged up by then, and the Avs were just too good. You know, the, the effort was there. This year, though, it's like we're playing the LA Kings again in the first five games where we're just coasting through every second game on defense and getting scorched because of it. And um, the Oilers, they've got to wake up. They've got to play better defensive hockey. Um, Ken Holland addressed that in an interview this week on Oilers Now with uh, Bob Stoffer, saying that, you know, he was concerned about some of these guys who haven't been scoring because they then get it in their head, I got to score, I got to score, and they start to cheat for the offense, and then they start to mm-hmm. give up chances at the defensive end. We are seeing that, but we're also seeing the best players on the team consistently make mistakes on grade A shots against. It's the entire team. It's the best players. And they've all got to get a lot better. It's not just Jack Campbell, who is off to a super iffy uh, start. And I'm going to get into that right now. That's my number. But it's the whole team. So I'll get on my, off my rant there. <laughs> I'll now rant about Jack Campbell. New rant. A new rant. <laughs> Two for a dollar. Okay. Um, at the Cult of Hockey, we go over video and we track mistakes, major mistakes on grade A shots against. And one of the things we track is how many mistakes the goalies make. And it's typically three kinds of mistakes. They'll either make a bad rebound right out into the slot, or they'll turn over the puck um, while handling the puck, and that'll lead to a great a shot against, or the, the, the most hideous and terrible of all uh, mistakes in a game. They'll, they'll, they'll just flat out miss a shot that they should stop. And um, so I'll start there, because that's the worst kind of mistake. In 10 games, Campbell has, according to our calculations, Bruce, and, and you know, people might, like people sometimes say, oh, you guys are biased, you like this play. Well, we have no feelings about Jack Campbell. We want him to succeed, um, but no more than any other goalie. We want them all to succeed. We want them all to do well. So far this year in 10 games, he's let in six goals where he's totally flubbed it, where he should have had that, including this Svechnikov shot tonight. Six goals in 10 games. Mike Smith, all in 28 games last year, he let in eight. So um, Campbell's six in 10 games, Mike Smith, eight in 28 games. Miko Koskinen let in 11 in 45 games. Last year, Stuart Skinner, three in 13 games. And this year, Stuart Skinner, one in six games, just one. So he, Campbell's rate of the worst kind of mistake is kind of off the charts. His overall rate of mistakes, though, is also really high. He's made 18 such major mistakes on grade A shots against in 10 games. That's 1.8 per game. Miko Kostin was at 0.62 per game last year. Stuart Skinner, 0.85 last year. And Mike Smith, who was a high event goalie with lots of turnovers, was at 1.4 per game last year. But again, Campbell's at 1.8 per game. So his overall rate mistake is of mistakes is higher than we saw last year from any goalie, far higher than Koskinen or Skinner and higher than Mike Smith. So he is just really having a rough time in that. He is not settled. He uh, He's not, I don't think he's himself. Uh, I didn't watch him last year in Toronto, so I can't say for sure, but I can't imagine he would have made this high rate of major mistakes last season. But he's, he's just, he is going through a major rough patch right now, Bruce. Ain't no doubt about it. He's having a hard time. I'd really hope that last game was a turnaround for him. 
and I was reasonably confident. And then tonight I thought he was good in the first period, and I got that late one, of course. Yeah. Uh, but once uh, once that three one goal went through him, it was like saloon door the rest of the way. Like, uh, and again, it was not just him. Part of it's the defense in front of him, but uh, you know. That's the reason you bring in high-paid goalies is to clean up some of that stuff and not to create some of their own, which, uh, I mean, admittedly, the 7-2 goal didn't make a whole lot of difference, but it was ugly. And uh, the giveaway where just basically gave an open netter to uh, uh, Jesper Fast, officially unassisted goal. Uh, but there there was... Uh, uh, there's cracks in his game. I mean, all those numbers that you gave on goals, David, were basically one every four games, whether you're talking about Skinner, Smith, or Koskinen. Correct. And, and for uh, 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 Campbell, what'd you say, six and ten games. I mean, yeah. Like, that's more than double one every four games. Yeah. So. <laughs> that is not good. It's not good. <sighs> yeah. It's not good. <laughs> Poor guy. Oh, he, I, I, he'll get it together, but he is not getting, he has not done so yet. I was hopeful too after that game because he really looked good against Tampa and he looked good at, at times in this game too. But then, then that shot came from Sveshnikov. He's just got to hope that Sveshnikov never shoots again on him. Well, he won't this year. I mean, that season series is over. Thank goodness. Sveshnikov is second in the NHL, in the NHL with 11 goals. And he has more than half of his goals against one team from the other conference. Two half. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh. I mean, he's a good player, but I noticed he only has five goals in all of his other games combined, so he's not that good. Alrighty. So the next game is Saturday afternoon. Saturday afternoon. Uh, Kachuk fresh off his two-game suspension that he got for trying to poke a goalie in the eye. and The suspension was crafted in such a way that he's returning just in time to play the Oilers. Yeah. Them's the breaks, I guess. But uh, oh, anyway, uh, just one comment, David, on the penalty shot tonight. The Oilers actually got a penalty shot, and it was a correct call. Dylan Holloway uh, stepped in alone on a breakaway, Got hacked in the in the attempt of trying to deke the goalie and wound up missing the net, so he got the the uh, penalty shot and he went in and again he tried to deke the goalie and again he missed the net, and put that with a breakaway he had earlier this year when he tried to deke the goalie and missed the net. I'm thinking it's about time he maybe thinks about shoot the puck. Fancy, fancy, it's not working yet. You know, get a little no. get, get a little success, a little you know, gain a little sort of confidence with the disc. Because that was, I mean, the puck laid flat from the whole way in, and he just flubbed the last touch on the penalty shot. He had some moments in this game, but he also had some moments where, and we've seen this most games, where the inexperience shone through. So that play at the end of the second, Hyman was passing for dry saddle, I thought, and uh, and um, Holloway intercepted it coming across the ice. Then he tried to make the play at the blue line and turned it over, and Carolina came down and scored <clears> one second left in the period. I mean, that's a painful one. And as the boys were saying on the broadcast, uh, Jack and Louie, they were saying that, you know, he's had some tough luck in that it seems like every time he makes a mistake, it winds up in the net. And I don't think that's quite true because he does make a lot of mistakes. Uh, but it's, you know, it's truer than it should be. Like an undue number of them have you know, pay the ultimate price uh, on that 
on that play, and this was yet another example. Sometimes I think just simplify, and, he, and again he had some great moments in the in the offensive zone. I thought, but uh, shoot the puck, shoot the puck. All right, Bruce, uh, we'll leave it there. Before we go, though, I just want to recognize tomorrow is uh, November. 11th Remembrance Day and I want to give a shout out to all the veterans that I know uh, through minor hockey I got to know uh, many many of the dads were minor were uh, either in the military or uh, former military so uh, my respect to them thinking of them and my grandfather my father uh, who served so it's a big day my dad served as well in World War II he went overseas in uh, late 43 and stayed through the end of of the war and all he gave three years of service uh, to the military and in return he got his education paid for and it, it made a big turnaround in his life in the end in the positive but uh, of course many of those who served uh, did not get any subsequent opportunities later in life because they gave their life and that is uh, uh, something to be uh, remembered and honored Indeed. My dad also went through the, uh, he was in the military after the Second World War. Um, he went through the officer program, <clears throat> so they paid for his university as well. So uh, it was uh, it was a big thing for a lot of people to get them. I don't know if they, I think they still do that, but it certainly put a lot of people through uh, university who might not otherwise have gone when when it was not as common for people to go to university. So... They gave my dad a choice, and I think this was standard fare for coming back from the war, either a house to start, you know, your family with or a uh, uh, or a, uh, paid for university education. And he chose door number two. Of course, many others who were in <clears throat> trades or whatever would have uh, more use for the, you know, for sort of starter level house, but, you know, roof over their heads. So at least there was uh, some kind of situation in place where the uh, uh, the veterans who did survive and ultimately help uh, in the in the ultimate success of that uh, uh, World War II, at least, were uh, uh, got some tangible benefit from it, and as it should be. Yeah, indeed. Yes, I got a little emotional there thinking of Remembrance Day, but more because my dad's in a bad way right now. He's in very, very poor health, so thinking of him. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. My dad passed 15 years ago this month, so I've been thinking of him throughout, always, always at this time of year. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll get him next time. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. All right.